Shot Golf Podcast, Episode 3, our British Open Recap. We are coming to you from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We are the San Francisco Golf Collective. I am Greg Moraz, alongside Mike Finn and Andy Smothers. We're so glad you made it with us to Episode 3. couple of reminders. Number one, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. We want to make sure that we get the word of this show out to as many people as possible. Share it on your social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you still want to do that type of thing, I wouldn't necessarily recommend sharing it on Facebook. But if you choose to do that, we're not going to argue with you on that as well. Can you share podcasts on Snapchat? I think you can. Actually, I know you can share podcasts on snapchat i have done it before and by the way as we did tell you to leave your reviews we do have our first review yeah big shout out to deja defazzo with a stellar five-star review on itunes uh love the love right back at you buddy can't wait to uh see where we go and thanks again all right let's go baby (laughs) so we are here to recap the open championship and i'll just say this It was not as riveting of a championship Sunday as I would have hoped. Now, it's always an interesting viewing experience here in the States because you got to get up really early here on the West Coast in order to watch the leaders. So I got up this morning. I was playing golf at 9.30. So I got up at about 6, and I was able to watch the leaders tee off. And it's just a weird experience. Like, you're sitting there still in your sleeping clothes, just waking up with a cup of coffee in your hand, and you've got the leaders of golf's last major of the year teeing off. And I'll say this, Colin Morikawa, the winner of this championship, was steady from start to finish. He had a couple of rocky shots in the first six holes, but he got up and down. And then the turning point for him came on that seventh hole because he made a birdie and Louis Oosthuizen made a big mistake, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But after that point, Jordan Spieth was chasing him somewhat, but Morikawa just didn't make any mistakes the entire round. Very Tiger-esque, very steely, I'd say. You know, he had a couple of spots where it looked like it was going to potentially crumble, and uh, he stepped up and he made big putts. You know, for for a guy they say can't putt, I didn't see it. I mean, he made every putt I saw. Yeah, great. I was just, I mean, today I didn't get to watch too much of the final round recap yet. I kind of, you know, after the round today, um, watched some of it. But like you were saying, you know, yesterday, you know, getting going in the morning, um, I think yesterday, Saturday morning, the British is probably the most enjoyable experience. I didn't play till one o'clock. So I set my alarm for five o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, you start watching it on your computer in bed and then, you know, you kind of get up, you know, maybe the sun's starting to peek out. Walked down, grabbed my coffee, came back on the couch. You turn it on, and you're just like, you know, you're in your blanket. And, you know, for four hours, you're just watching, you know, every, you know, top player in the world. You got, you got to watch their entire round, and then it's over by 12. You go play your afternoon round. But, um, yeah, no, Morikawa was, um, I mean, I'm just looking at the scores. I mean, the guy, 67, 64, 68, 66. Uh, there's your winner, right? I don't think he made a bogey in how many holes? Thirty-one holes. It's that's insane. Yeah. Uh, I think he did that at 
uh, Harding also in the PGA. Yeah, he just was nails. It was like 23 or 26 holes uh, without a bow. I'm curious why you guys don't, I've never heard of a DVR like recording it because I woke up at 10. I did have my phone on airplane. I didn't want any spoilers. See, I can't, I can't resist, dude. Like I sit there and. Oh, I need my beauty sleep on the weekend. I'm but sorry. That's, part of the, that's why I love it. You know, you get to like, how many other times, like you're saying, you know, are you waking up, you, you fall asleep watching it and then you wake up watching yeah, it. Yeah. See, I normally start out like Wednesday night, like one o'clock in the morning watching the first few shots and then I'll get up early and watch. By the weekend, man, I need my Z's. Yeah. Here on the West Coast though, and this is one of the unique things about the Open Championship compared to not just the other three majors, but pretty much any professional golf tournament, there are no split tees. So you are literally playing every group off of the first tee, yeah. which means you're starting early and you're ending very late. On Thursday, technically Wednesday here, you could have turned on Peacock, the streaming service, 1 a.m. at 10.30 at night, our time, yeah, and watched Richard Bland hit the first tee shot of the tournament. Our guy. Richard Bland. Bland. There we go. We got to have him on the show at some point. He's got to be the unofficial ambassador of the European tour to the alternate shot golf podcast. If anybody knows Richard, get him, spread the love, spread the word to him. Let's get him on here. So a couple of interesting stats that I want to throw at you guys. And I want to first talk about the golf course and the fact that, and I'm looking back a little bit further, but I know from the last three opens at Royal St. George's, it was a first time open championship winner at that tournament because it was Ben Curtis, his only major in 2003, Darren Clark, his only major in 2011, Colin Morikawa, his second major, but his first open start. So that's pretty impressive to me that this is a course that is producing first-time winners, Morikawa to an extent. But I want to go through a couple other stats that I have in front of me, and I want to give a shout-out to Bob Schmelzley, who pass these along to me. Shout out to you, Babalu. Uh, I'm sure you're not listening, but uh, appreciate you if you are. What stat of the ones I'm going to give you guys is the most impressive to you? Colin Morikawa is the first player to win two different majors in his first attempt. He is one of six players with two major victories before turning the age of 25 since 1934. The other five are Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, Seve Ballesteros, and Jack Nicholas. Colin Morikawa also joins Tiger as only the second player to win both the Open Championship and the PGA Championship before turning 25 years of age. And he has won two majors in the span of less than a calendar year because the PGA Championship at Harding Park last year was the first week of August. So in less than 365 days, He's won two majors. What's the most impressive to you guys? Well, to me, it's the first attempt statistic that he's won two majors on his first attempt because you could win a major on your first attempt, and, and, and obviously you deserve it, but it could be not necessarily a fluke, but maybe luck was going your way, you know. But to do it twice, that just takes all that off the table. I mean, it shows you are on a plane on a different level. Uh, when I think of first-time majors, you know, we talked about Ben Curtis. I know Keegan Bradley won it in the, the PGA in his first attempt. And these are great players, nothing against them. But to do it twice, that's unbelievable. And the British Open is not, I mean, it's a its a completely different tournament. You know, it's not your typical hit, you know, target golf tournament. It's 
it need you need imagination and it's a completely different skill set than winning the PGA and he did it both ways and it just shows his game is very broad. Yeah, I mean, I feel like like that third one you mentioned. I think the one where it's, he's the first to win the was it the PGA and the British. I feel like you could probably come up with any sort of stat by naming certain tournaments there and that. Don't don't get me wrong, it's it's a very impressive stat. But I think that middle one where joining what was it uh, the five or six other guys under the age of five 25. other guys to win. Two. two majors before turning the age of 25. And look at the list. Like, these aren't randos. Like, how many these guys? are golf Hall of Famers. Yeah. I mean, like, how many guys? I mean, we saw Lee Westwood. I was hoping, you know, he would kind of come in there. You know, I think he set the record or tied the record this week for the most majors uh, without a win. He passed, I think it was Mark Kalkovecchia. Um Didn't Kalk win a British eventually? No? Uh, no, nah, I don't think so. Maybe a senior British. We're going to get the research on this right now, but we'll confirm that in a moment. I think that, but you look at that list and it's all Hall of Famers. And I think it is reasonable. And granted, it's very early. The yeah. guy's been on tour for less than Was two Rory on years. that list? Rory was on yeah. that list. I mean, yeah. like, we haven't seen Rory win in, what, in seven years. And, I mean, when Rory came out, same thing, came out of the gates hot, and it's like, okay, like you're on the world stage fully up there. And uh, was, was, when was... Uh, 1989 in a playoff, uh, Calc did win the Open Championship. 89, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. what start was that? We, we, was Probably the 400. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard that yesterday. Um, but I was pulling for Lee, but that's what I'm saying. So you've got guys that are like these world beaters that have won a lot of tournaments and they've never won a major championship. And Morikawa is like, he's elite now. Like he is fully elite. <laughs> exactly. And it's undeniable. And I feel like there's been this huge knock uh, in the media about Morikawa saying that he can't putt, you know, well, if he can putt, bullshit. The guys won five times a world golf championship, two majors, you can putt. And I'll, let me let me put it this way. If, Mike, if you shoot a 72 and I shoot a 72 and I hit 15 greens and you hit 10 greens, well, guess what? It took me five more putts to shoot it. So my putting stats aren't going to look the same. Yeah. And that's the problem with Morikawa. He's number one in greens and regulation. He's number two in proximity. So when you take putts per round, it's going to be skewed in the wrong direction. Dude can putt. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it was incredible to watch. I mean, that guy... I, I enjoyed actually most of it while watching the back nine, just the conversations that he goes through with his caddy, uh, JJ Jakovich. I feel like maybe it's my responsibility each week. You know, let's highlight these caddies because I don't think they get the love. Um, JJ Jakovich, uh, I think I pronounced that right. I uh, was actually a local guy growing up. I remember seeing his name all over the NCGA website. This guy uh, won two division two uh, individual championships playing out at Chico. Um, a funny quote, I think in the thing I read, he says, I love golf, but I stinked at it. And I'm like, you stink <laughs> at it? What you, you won two national championships, bud. And, I mean, dude, you're, I think he's 37 years old. 39th birthday today. Uh, 39th. There we go. Good call. Uh, nice little seeing... happy birthday gift for him. Yeah, right? I mean, like, good for him. I good mean, vibes. he's super intense. Um, they were saying, you know, I saw an interview with him where, you know, they do the caddy races, I think, at this uh, Waste Management Open. And the person interviewing him was saying, like, oh, like, so what do you do? And, you know, do you like these caddy races? And he's just saying, like, no, nah, I think that's not really part of the game. Like, you know, let's keep it about the golf here. Um, but I just wanted to, you know, give a shout out to JJ because uh, good for him. You know, local guy. He's caddied also for Ryan Moore. He was on his bag for seven and a half years. Um, I think when Ryan Moore was right off his, what, U.S. Pub Links win, U.S. Amateur win the same year. He was a top golfer in the world for a while, Ryan Moore. Yeah, he, so he, he met him, actually, I guess, at a U.S. Open sectional qualifier uh, for the 19, 2019. Oh, no, that's when he met Morikawa. Um, 
so Morikawa and him got together after he'd been on tour for a little while, JJ, and uh, he saw a good player, you know, 2019 U.S. Open qualifier. He's like, uh, hey, so I think he talked to someone's agent, talked to his team, got on his bag, and since then they've been uh, having a pretty good run, I'd say. Yeah, their their relationship on the course is, is, is somewhat unique in that they really rely on each other. You know, uh, I, Morikawa yeah. definitely, it, it, you the know. talk, yeah. Yeah, it's back crazy. and forth. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's kind of a beautiful thing, man. It's cool to see uh, such a nice relationship blossom yeah. too. Like the know? audio between the two of them, the, the, I mean, they're talking through every single aspect of the shot, the wind, where you want it to land, and it's and JJ I think gave uh, Colin credit for that, basically saying that he he's like a caddy himself out there. Um, you know, a lot of these players, you know, we saw it with Lexi, maybe she relies on her caddy a little bit too much. Um, it's always it's a very interesting dynamic, you know, these relationships that they have and. It seems like there was a lot of mutual respect between both of them. Um, so I, I just really enjoyed watching that today. Um, and yeah, you know, cheers to JJ. Team. Cheers yeah. to JJ. 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 And I want to follow up on that with what you guys were saying because there isn't a tournament, in my opinion, or rather, I'll walk that back. There isn't a tournament at a course like a Lynx style golf course that relies more on calculating the elements of the course than the Open Championship and the Lynx Golf Course does. So being open with your caddy, having that dialogue, working through different ideas of how you want to hit a shot, where you want to leave your shot, what type of play you want to do around the green. Do you want to get the ball in the air? Do you want to keep it on the ground? Do you want to bump it? Do you want to loft it? Uh, where you read the putt? How do you lag it? That's all a conversation you have with your caddy. Totally. That's all things that American golfers who grow up on Parkland and desert golf courses don't necessarily learn. Because, look, there are very few. We talked about it on our last episode. We have Lynx golf courses here in the Bay Area. Most of the golf courses are not Lynx golf courses. They are what are defined as Parkland golf courses, which are trees, green grass, regular bunkers, and regular putting greens. We don't have to deal with the same type of element. Look, I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in big sky country. You don't get those types of golf courses out there. Yeah. You get very few of them out here. And even the courses here are not designed in the same way that the golf courses across the pond, whether it be in Scotland, England, or Ireland, are designed. And they take a special brand of strategy totally. in order to play especially off the tee you know american golf i think the caddy really shines when you're at the approach level you know what what, what do you got to carry but over in, in britain you got to know your players how they are flighting there's it, bunkers you know, out there that are dangerous it, what slopes are out there i mean yeah. so i think we talked about it a little bit with bryson so obviously you know he had a little rocky exit i think with his caddy was it last week and now you go over to this tournament and you are got a new guy that you've got to build a lot of trust with. And at a place like a British where your equipment might not be, uh, yeah, he's <laughs> running out of things to blame. You. Oh, you can't blame the new caddy, right? It's his yeah, first week. So let's, like, uh, we'll know. get into that in a little bit in our out of bounds <laughs> segment. But I think that the trust is important. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other things from this tournament that I think we should touch on. Royal St. George's, as we talked about last week, and for those of you that did not catch our Open Championship preview, please go back and listen to it. A lot of the stuff is not timely, but you can go back and listen to our predictions. I believe that I said that Louis Oosthuizen was 
going to be at the top. I didn't necessarily hit on my pick of Daniel Berger. Did one of you two guys have Morikawa in I, our prediction? If segment? you go back, I did re-listen, go back to 38, and I was a little bit of a soothsayer there. I said the <laughs> definitive favorite was Morikawa, but you know, it's a pretty I, good batting average, right? I mean, one, one, one for two, bat five hundred. Yeah, not bad. But you know what? That Berger play was good. I think he finished seven under. So uh, kudos on that. Yeah, he had some good. Uh, I saw he made a few good putts today. I think no. Uh, what did he shoot today? Uh, sixty-eight pairs, sixty-eights on the weekend. That's that's pretty solid. Um, who's pretty. the worst scores? I mean, Scheffler. I was hoping. Uh, I think my pick was actually DJ. Can we circle back to Scheffler? The guy hasn't won yet on tour, but like it's only a matter of time. He that is was his so first, first time that he's ever been to Europe. They said you look at his stats in majors. It's like his third or fourth top ten. Yeah, he's only year. been playing a year yeah. on tour. Totally. Uh, he got second in in the match play. The guy's gonna be a world beater. It's yeah, just I mean, a matter of time. He won the uh, junior amateur up at uh, Martis Camp, I believe. I don't know what year that was. Maybe two thousand five. No. I don't think that no, golf course was like built 15. in 2005. No, I was gonna say like 2015. Excuse me, I got that wrong. Uh, somewhere around there. Um, oh, and how about how about being a long uh, Texas Longhorn fan? Yeah. Uh, the last two groups there was like three Longhorns. Fratelli, uh, uh, Scheffler, Spieth. Spieth. Yeah. 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 Go go horns, hook 'em horns. Is that what they say? Yeah, it is what they say. <laughs> My point though being is that you saw all these low scores out there. This was not the fault of the golf course. Royal St. George's historically has been a very difficult golf course. Ben Curtis, I believe, won at either one under or one over in 2003. Darren Clark won at five under in 2011. There were no elements to deal with other than the golf course itself. No wind. There was no wind. And they said that it set a record today in England at 80 degrees, I believe, in Sandwich, where this course is. 80 degrees. That... In the British Isles is unheard of. It's if you are listening in the San Francisco area and you've never been over there, what we have here in the Bay Area weather-wise, without the fog, but sort of the overcast elements, it's very similar to what you get over there at this time of year. And so a golf course was brought to its knees because one of the biggest factors in how to play an open championship wasn't there. Yeah. Well, what you were saying, you know, um, we have Parkland golf courses here. Uh, I guess the term there is Heatland golf. Heatland. Yeah, Heatland golf courses. So apparently it has switched, though. Now the coast, uh, the southern coast of England is now a Heatland golf course. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, today felt like some British weather here, I'd say. Uh, we were out there playing Harding, and it was, you know, fog whipping in, wind right there on the lake. Uh, so This is the first time I've worn a sweatshirt in three months coming down to, to do this show with you guys. It, it's 40 degrees colder in San Francisco than it is up uh, north in Sacramento. Yeah, like, we, it's we not even cold. 16, though, and it was actually, I think I was following along on the phone, and that's I was rooting for, I mean, I, I knew that, you know, maybe there was a wager placed on him. And we're sitting there, and I'm following along. I'm just like, come on, Colin. Let's go, Colin. Let's go, Colin. And I think it was right around when we were teeing off on 16, the site of his, uh, when he drove the green. What a shot. Uh, was, I think, he might have clinched it, the British, a few holes before that. But pretty fun to be out at the site of his other major championships. You guys too. ever watch the show Manifest? I've gotten really into it. But basically, a bunch of the passengers from this plane, they all end up having these callings. And so what I find interesting about that, why I bring it up, and I was literally streaming part of Manifest before you guys came over to do the show, is that you can see, like, different people, like, feeling the same thing at the same time. Like, that was your Manifest calling with Colin Morikawa, you being on 16 and Harding, (laughs) right, as he's about 
to uh, win the damn tournament. It so was, it was uh, great. I had flashbacks of seeing him getting some sand tongue there on uh, you know Irving Street. You know, I said a little shout out to him. He was wearing his mask and had. You wonder what how the hell I could even recognize him. Which so. which won't be mentioned on any <laughs> any uh, media. I guarantee you is how he handled the claret jug. He did not drop it. Yeah, it did not fall apart <laughs> like he did at the PGA. So obviously he's experienced holding championship trophies. So good job, uh, Colin, on uh, not dropping that one. Yeah, that's gonna be fun to watch him, man. Let's go. He's so good. One guy is he playing in the Olympic team? Sorry, he is. He's part, oh he, oh yeah, he's playing Olympics okay, and uh, and he he looks focused. He Dude. was talking about it how he says he's going to be Olympian for life and Beautiful. and now it's you know he's he, he's kind of worried that you know after this week you know how is he going to be settled for it? But like he, you can tell his next focus right away. Boom, yeah, love him. Yeah, I was going to mention Jordan Spieth had himself a heck of a week. Thirteen under par, finishes in second place. He has had a lot of really solid finishes this year. He just hasn't gotten across the line yet. Did he win a couple of weeks ago? Has he, he won this he year? He won at Valero, which was the first time in a few years. Yeah. Um, he had a top five at the Masters, but I think in terms of top tens, no one's had more top tens on the PGA Tour this year than Jordan Spieth. So he's been the most consistent golfer all year. Just the, sh- the stats that they were showing for him in the majors, I think, he was first in like birdies made, average putts per round, you know, relation to par, like everything. It was like the top five most important categories. I wish I took a screenshot of it. Well, the front nine, he only hit four greens and he shot like 32, 33. I mean, it's I crazy. It. I mean, he went away for what, two years, I'd say? He had a little down year. So uh, my, next year might be a good time to get him on your fantasy team again. He's, he's climbing those rankings. Next guy I want to touch on. What happened to Louie on mm. the seventh hole was just really sad. And Poor Louie. <laughs> Louie is one of those guys. I was making a joke. You know, UPS doesn't deliver on Sundays, and UPS is two big golf sponsors. He was like all Louie Oosthuizen and Lee Westwood, Dude, who have notoriously blown sunday leads at majors maybe the unions uh has a say in the sponsorship because they don't want to work on sundays i don't know that's working some of it i think i saw on his instagram like the only thing i was like oh louis Uste isn't posting something it was like in the middle of the night when you should be asleep i saw and, that and it was like all ups stuff well one was like yeah was like what, what course did i win the championship on i was like st andrews and then the next one was yeah ups and i go i'm not following yeah, that i was up. like come on <laughs> where's the someone on his media team's got to figure out their timing a little bit better i think yeah <laughs> but louis today his iron play was uncharacteristically bad. This guy, in my opinion, is the best ball striker from tee to green. He's a better putter than he used to be, but he's still not great. But today, his iron game really let him down. And on the seventh hole in particular, now look, none of us would have been able to hit the green more than likely with an iron on the seventh hole at Royal St. George's, par five, one of the easiest holes on the golf course. Flag is front left. He blocks his shot, pin high right, in a bunker. He's one of the better bunker players on tour. Blades it. Was trying to hit a chunk and run. Blades it into another bunker where he's up against the back lip and it buries. And he has no real shot to go with the flag. Yikes. Louis Oosthuizen, he just may be one of those guys that when Sunday comes around, whether it's under his own power or somebody else, he just can't seem to get over the hump. And we've got to take 2010 at St. Andrews aside, 
because he was blowing away the field and nobody had a chance going into Sunday. Now, comparatively, at the U.S. Open, John Rahm made a charge. And Louis Oosthuizen did everything that he could in order to stay in that tournament. Now, his drive on 17, that was rough. But he gave himself a chance for par. He was consistent most of the day. It was Rahm that put the pressure on him. Today, Louis just unfortunately it was tough. fell apart. There was a uh, part of the broadcast, they were saying it kind of, you know, when you're in, when you're leading a major, and you know whatever you're doing the first two rounds, you're not thinking about it too much, right? You're just you're going, you're playing your game, you're hitting your shots, and the results are coming. When you start to get closer to the weekend, you know maybe it's late Saturday, and especially on Sunday, you're leading the tournament, and you kind of are you protecting the lead or are you continuing to do what you're doing and just hitting your shots? And that's what I mean, if you're if it's working the first couple of rounds, don't that's the mental mindset. It totally changes, right? So you lose your confidence. Um, you start to you just you're choosing different lines, choosing different clubs. So I, I don't know how. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that's if that's what you'd want to hear. Like, yeah, I don't want to hear that from him. I, I'm with you, Mike. I don't know if it's if it's attitude or if it's fire. But on Sunday, it just seemed like he was kind of complacent in, yeah. in some ways on these shots. And and to your point, Greg. Talking about like great iron play, when when it actually mattered on the eleventh hole, all right, he had an iron on that par three. It's like two hundred and forty yards. Morikawa hit a wood. One he, today. Yeah, he nearly had a hole in one. Yeah, right, it hit, it hit the pin. I mean, you're watching like, un- that. Was like the only good shot. He but there was thing, fire right? on that <laughs> shot. Okay, that's the difference. He goes, all right, now it's time to either shit or get off the pot. Right, he, he he put everything aside and he focused on it. And I don't know if we, off the first tee he had that same focus. And I, I think it's kind of mental with Louis because I don't yeah. think I don't think anything else besides you know the approach. It reminds me of Tony Finau a little bit like all the skill but like get that fire on the first tee and let's see what happens how do we get there's got to be some app out there right to measure you know kind of like either well not your heartbeats per minute but it's something that's you know going with your wavelengths of your brain I don't think he's nervous I think he's just kind of like he's just a chill mellow guy but Mm -hmm. so was Morikawa and I think it's really worth pointing out when you'd watch him there was no emotion it almost looked like and you saw afterward he was over the moon, but there wasn't a lot of joy from Morikawa really throughout the week. Very businesslike. Very Tiger-like, I would say, at Hoy-like. Just very businesslike. Yeah, good, yeah. good call there, Mike. I mean, it's you're in, when you're in the zone, I mean, that's one thing. Got to shout out JJ, dude. Like you, You've got to keep your player dialed in, and I don't know. I, maybe that's just... It's somebody at this point that believes he's already an elite golfer, yeah. and the results prove it. Now... He can get a little bit overconfident in interviews, but so far, he's backed it up. Tiger was pretty confident in those interviews, too, right before his first start. I don't think Crenshaw was too happy. Can we talk a little bit about the acceptance speech on the Claire Jug, though? I don't know if you you got to watch that with Morikawa. I mean, what a class act. First thing he does is talk about the amateur, give him props. Then he gives the crowd props. Then he gives the superintendents props. All I can think of is, like, if Bryson in one, he would go, me, 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 and me, me, me. And he never talked about his game once. Uh, it's just a classic. It just shows what type of a guy he is. I mean, not only is he a, a champion, but he's just like, he's a gentleman as well. Very good role model. On that note, we're going to take a break. When we come back, it's time for our Out of Bounds segment where we are going to talk about Bryson and the issue that he had with his club manufacturer. And I'm going to let loose on this. Plus... The majors are over. What do we have to look forward to in the golf world, especially 
on the amateur side. And we're going to talk about some golf courses that are related to Colin Morikawa. And Andy has got something that he really enjoys. And it's not something that you would enjoy if you didn't love coffee. This is the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast from the San Francisco Golf Collective. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back into the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. We are the SF Golf Collective. Greg Moraz, Mike Finn, Andy Smothers. We wanted to talk about in our out-of-bounds segment something that quite truly is out-of-bounds, but not necessarily out-of-character. Bryson DeChambeau hit 4 of 14 fairways in his opening round at the Open Championship and basically threw his club company, Cobra Golf, under the bus by saying that his driver sucks and that the face isn't working for him. Well, Cobra shot back and basically said that Bryson is a complete toolbox and is one of the most difficult people to deal with. Bryson profusely apologized, but it got me thinking, what player on a tour level? Now, we play with our average Joes that they don't understand golf and when they hit a bad shot, they blame their driver, they blame their irons, they blame their ball. Nobody on the tour level does this, ever. And you think about the way that Bryson DeChambeau operates. He's playing with a driver that is extra long and is only five degrees of loft. I was actually doing a search on this. The only driver that you can buy on the market that is below eight degrees of loft is, I believe, a tailor-made that is like seven and a half and it's i can't even remember what model of club it was but seven and a half is like the lowest that you can buy lowest on seven the and regular half. market yep. Yep. and that's very rare that you even find that so i want to open it up to you guys bryson in this past year has blamed bad breaks at tory he's blamed brooks kepka because he can't seem to handle the jabbing that Kepka's given him after their feud began. He's blamed his caddy because he fired the only caddy that he's had in the last three years in Tim Tucker, and now he's going to blame his driver. Bryson apologized twice for this. Do you guys feel like this is just another excuse from Bryson, or do you think he's had a watershed moment in that he understands that he can't blame somebody else because that somebody else finally fired back and called him out on his BS. I'm, I'm actually going to go two sides with this. I think, yeah, he's just looking for people to blame, you know, because like you said, you blame your caddy, you blame the course, now you're blaming your driver. But how many hundreds of hours do you think went into his driver selection? And if you think about it, right, you've got a whole team of people out there. Maybe his driver does suck. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's 100 hours and, like, he's not doing it. But, no, jokes aside, no, he's definitely just casting blame. Um, and it's really annoying. And I think, you know, one thing about golf for me is that it reveals character quicker than anything else. People say alcohol reveals character. Yeah, I get that. But golf 
is true. You know, alcohol can, can skew your character. Golf absolutely does. And I think it's all on the table now. We, uh, we, we get it. We, we see the picture, and I think Brooks definitely won. Who loves his driver, by the way? Yeah. I mean, I, just don't, I don't know how many friends he's really making out there. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, Brooks, I think, is taking the charge in kind of the troll sessions uh, each week with, you know, his interviews afterwards. Hard and, troll. Oh, I love my driver. <laughs> Hard you know, troll. Driving into the weekend. Uh, but there's even more guys. <laughs> I mean, like Jason Duffner, who, Duff Daddy, haven't seen that guy in a while. Tweet of the week, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, so he says, if you really want to get USGA serious about equipment rollbacks, just start blabbering about how your equipment doesn't go straight enough on mishits. That should get the ball rolling on things. <laughs> I mean, like, self-awareness. Uh, so God bless Duffner. Uh, I think JT threw some uh, shots in there. Um, what's he saying here? I think Justin Thomas goes in there like, ah, oh, never would have thought swinging at 135 plus miles per hour, it'd be hard to drive it straight. You'd think Mr. Physics would know that. <laughs> <laughs> a little aggressive, but I mean, these guys, like these are your peers that you see with, you know, that you see week to week. And, and I'm sure it's just the approach to the game they're having issue with, right? Yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> I, you know. I'd say approach to the game and conduct on the golf course. Conduct probably around every... Look, I am a little bit younger, for those out there, than Mike and Andy. I played against Bryson in junior golf because he grew up in Clovis, which is Fresno, greater Northern California area. And he was like this, at least in terms of his conduct, all the way back to when he was 15, 16 years old. He's been rocking a Tam since back then? Yeah, he Uh, has, actually. (laughs) No, he's done it... Pretty much as long as he's been in my conscious uh, feel. But look, Justin Thomas and Bryson are going to the Olympics together. That is going to be an adventure. Along with Colin Morikawa and Xander Shoffley. How is he going to end up getting along with those other three guys? Because it's pretty clear that number one, Justin Thomas is not a fan of him. But number two, Morikawa is probably going to be all business and doesn't want to deal with his BS. And number three, Xander Shoffley just seems like such a nice guy that he's going to end up having to be like, don't worry, Bryson, I'll come sit with you. Well, they don't necessarily need to get along for the Olympic tournament. It's an individual tournament still. The Ryder Cup is coming up. Like Steve Stricker has got a pretty tough job now. Who are you pairing with Bryson? And if it's one guy on the team that gets along with him, you're kind of... Patrick Reed, Patrick Reed, Patrick Reed. that's great pairing, exactly. (laughs) Perfect answer. Uh, I mean, like, you're pigeonholed. You you now are forced to pretty much put this guy with probably the same guy all week long. Um, You know, it's... I don't know. Not showing too much maturity, but... Tough call, too. Who do you pair Bryson with? I mean, that's... Well, you got to think about strategy session when you're going to the Ryder Cup. You have to think about if you're playing... Like alternate, alternate shot. shot. You have to think about two guys that would complement each other well. You can't just pair guys together because one of them can't get along with everybody. So, Tiger and I, Phil I, back in the so, day. So I actually think when it comes to team golf, and I, I love team golf, there's two ways you go about it. You're, you're either homies, your best buds, or you freaking hate each other because it brings out the best in, in you. You know, I know I've played well uh, match play with people I weren't exactly a fan of, but we both didn't like each other, and God damn it, we were going to one-up each other on every shot. But the Tiger-Phil pairing, I think, uh, I don't know who the captain was back then. Was it Jay Haas maybe? Like. That pairing, I don't think, went so well. Uh, but the Tiger-Phil animosity was nothing compared to how others feel 
about Bryson DeChambeau. I cannot yep. think of two other guys in the last 15 years that have as much vitriol directed at them, and rightfully so, than Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed. Bubba, a little bit. A little bit. But not, now, not as much. Now, Bryson and Reed for different reasons. Bryson because he acts like an absolute toolbox and is just unbearable to be around. Reed because he's a cheater. And it's pretty well proven <laughs> at this point that he's a cheater. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a very good representation of our country there, right? <laughs> These guys... Not, not good, not good. I'm looking forward to the Olympics, so I, I I wish there was a team component to it, but I don't know how you do it with the uh, current standings because not every country is going to have the same amount of players represented, so you can't really have a team aspect. But there's, you know, when, when golf was first announced on at the Olympic level, I was so excited because I wanted a Jamaican golf team to just upset the world. But no, it goes back to the world rankings, and you're not going to have any Jamaican golfers in the top 100. And I wish there was some way to, to figure that out, right? I know, I think uh, there was a local caddy around here from a very small province in Russia, Moldova, I believe. Alex. And yeah, I, I wasn't going to name him, but you know. We'll the greatest Soviet <laughs> golfer on planet Earth, by he the way. Only, I think his family members were Olympians, swimmers, and he'd only. Swimmer and weightlifter. Picked up the game for about you know a year and a half. And I remember he was, when the Olympics, for, or golf first got on the Olympic roster, as a sport, I think he was going to try, and he's played for their team in the, I think there's like a national team cup that you can play in um, that goes, you know, moves all around the world each year or maybe every other year. But I think he was trying to kind of get on the Moldovian Olympic teams, like you're saying. So I, I don't know how you petition your country to get that on there, but uh, there's been efforts. I just don't know. I think they have be to competing. change the format they of do. how everything yeah. is selected. And that's a good segue into our next part of our Out of Bounds segment. The Olympic Golf Tournament will be coming up, I believe it is the first week of August, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But now that the Open Championship is done, that's it for the major championships for this year. And the tournaments that we're probably going to key in on moving forward are the three playoff events, which the first event at Liberty National uh, just outside of New York in Jersey City. Then there's the BMW Championship, which I believe is back in Chicago this year. I'm not sure if it is. And uh, then it's in Maryland, actually. So it's not got, in Chicago, huh? So, so we've got next year or next week, we've got the 3M Open, uh, followed by the Olympics. Then we've got, uh, looks like the Barracuda Championship. Um, actually, no, that's the same week. Sorry, that's the off week event, I believe. Uh, same week as the St. Jude. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of, you know, it's the end, the season winds down, FedEx Cup race is starting. Um, I think this is now kind of, you know, it's the commercial money grab out there. You know, all the golfers care about the majors, right? You know, once the majors are done, now they're playing for the $10 million FedEx Cup. Or their tour card. Yeah, exactly. Tour card, standing, stuff like that. Um, but it's really, like you're saying, you know, this is when I think the amateur circuit is kind of, you know, starts to get into full gear. Um, I know USAM qualifying, there's been some sites that have already uh, completed. Um, this past weekend, we had the U.S. Girls Junior, um, which was, I don't know if you guys watched it at all, Rose Zhang, uh, you know, incoming freshman at Stanford, absolutely dominated the field. Uh, she was medalist uh, in the week at 9-under, second place was 6-under, 30-seed, 
even par. <laughs> so she separates herself by nine strokes going in uh, each match. I was watching the semis on Saturday. Um, it was actually a really good match. Went 20 holes. But it was the first time she made it to the 17th hole that week. Uh, she won six and four in her first match, four and three, then four and two, five and four, 20 holes. And then in the championship, uh, she beat uh, Bailey Davis six and four, who Bailey Davis, uh, first she would have been the first African-American um, champion to ever win. And that's a 36-hole final, right? Just for context, that's yeah, six. Yeah, 36 and holes. But Roseng, I mean, holy cow. I mean, she wins the U.S. Amateur, uh, Women's Amateur last year. Um, first ever, right? What's that? First ever to do both the amateur and the junior amateur. No, no, no. So she's the eighth player uh, to win both of them. But she's the first to win it in that order ah. uh, in the am and then the junior. Uh, she's 15-1 and one in USGA matches, like all time. Her only loss to the current U.S. Women's Open champion, Yuka Sasso. Um, so this girl, she is going to be uh, a star. At Stanford and she's next year. Stanford, huh? Yeah. She's There's, number one in the world. Rachel Hex, number two in the world. Um, so they're stacked next year, Stanford. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and then you got Megagani coming in uh, the year after that as well. So Stanford, it's going to be a lot of fun local golf. Um, also coming up, you know, this week we've got the U.S. Boys Junior coming up at uh, the Country Club of uh, North Carolina. And then we've got... Uh, That's a great tournament. If you have a chance, I know Golf Channel's uh, airing a lot of these USGA events. If you're into golf, watch these US uh, USGA events because it's a lot of golf. You're going to just watch golf. Hour. I mean, if you have an hour of, of coverage, you're going to watch an hour of golf. It's not going to be like your typical CBS where you know they're showing whales over at San Diego yeah. and hip-hop music. Yeah. We're all oh, it's good golf. It's tour. good golf. Yeah. And these junior golfers, what I really like is they're free. You know, I've caddied in a U.S. junior amateur, and it was really eye-opening to me. Is these are like mini tour pros, and totally. they don't, they haven't developed the yips yet. They're 15 years old, so yeah. they're just nails. I mean, we and saw- you're going to see a lot of golf courses that are really cool. Yep. But because of whatever factor, either the market size or length of golf course, you're not going to see them get played in a tour event. So you're going to get to see yeah. a lot of really awesome looking golf courses yeah. in these events good Did point i also mentioned that right now around the united states and i know that we just had one of the qualifiers down at almada in san jose the u.s amateur qualifiers are going on all around the country right now and that my, is my guy tournament. noah norton qualified last week so he's on to uh it's at oakmont so yeah that's that's gonna be that's a big august boy 9th to 15th us ams at oakmont and then the women's amateur is August first week of August second to eighth at Westchester Country Club. So that's going to be good um, television. Yeah, I mean, I love watching that stuff. It's literally golf in its purest form. Um, you've got you're going to see these names in the future going forward. And like you're saying, it's free to attend. Uh, this week, I think you know this was Barack Obama's home course, so he sent a letter to everybody uh, left in their locker. Um, he was excited, tweeting about it. Tony Kornheiser, they were interviewing him, um, and. He's not a golfer. He said he's a 20 handicap, and he, it's like he was like a normal person. Normally, Tony Kornheiser, you know, pretty, you know, in-your-face kind of guy out there. He was brought down to a level. He, just the respect and admiration he had for the players and for the course, the pride that he took in it, you know, because these members, like you're saying, it's you can go walk behind these guys five feet, ten feet behind them, and you're watching the best, highest level of golf yeah. in the world. Yeah, um, so it's yeah, almost it like the BCS him. championship for golf, but the ticket costs zero dollars. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, this week, also this weekend, just wrapped up. We got to give a shout out to our uh, local boy, Daniel Connolly. Uh, he won the NCJ Stroke Play, 
Um, Second time he's won that. Yeah, I think he won what, 2017. So way to be, Daniel. Let's go. Wow, two-time winner? Yeah. That's got to be a rare list, huh? That I don't know. We can look at the yeah, we gotta look, website. Yeah, we, we got to look that up. But I mean, The not stroke play is not as big of a tournament as the NCGA match play, which I believe they're on edition 120 or 119 this year. That's played at Spyglass Hill. I've played in that twice. It is an absolute blast. You're yep. guaranteed two rounds of stroke play at a golf course that costs $400 for the public to play. Yeah, Maverick McNeely, I think, when he was on his run, I think his junior year of college, I think he set some crazy scoring record during that week. Uh, he literally was just, you know, I think the number of birdies he made was something like it was like 48 birdies in like five rounds or something like that. It was insane. Oh, speak, um, that's just, the year they won like six tournaments. I think he set the record for most tournaments his junior year. Because this is out of bounds, and I want to just mention something that I didn't otherwise address earlier in the British. Rory McIlroy made 17 birdies and finished even par for the week. Think about that. How many uh, birdies did Morikawa make, do you think? 17? 18? I don't know. I Stats mean, I, I, I'm just, I, <laughs> hey, if, if, you, if you like uh, the Masters next year, a little early pick, Rory's going to do it. Yeah. yeah. No, so I would just say tune into your uh, golf channel because, uh, you know, if you get bored by the end of the season, before the FedEx Cup, before the Olympics, uh, a lot of high-level amateur stuff coming up. So and There's a lot of high-level amateur stuff around here that's not going to be televised, which yeah. I also want to talk about. Yeah, good we call. are the SF Golf Collective. We Amen. want to keep this to a local angle. We've got a lot of great amateur tournaments here. I'm going to lead off with the Northern California Family Golf Tournament. Uh, it is an, it's, it's, It may not be the level of the U.S. amateur, but it is very competitive if you're playing with your grandfather, with your cousin, with your son or your daughter. It's an incredible tournament. It's been going on for over 50 years. Um, uh, yeah, check out NC Family Golf Tournament, uh, tourney.com. Uh, tournaments uh, qualifying is September 25th, 26th. I've played with my mother, and I've played against people, um, you know, grandfather, grandson combinations. It's so much fun. Um, it's just a great time. And, and if you love golf, you're going to love this tournament. Totally. Um, and that kind of leads into the same thing. So I know the San Francisco, the, the city, this is, it got pushed back from, usually it's what, in April? Uh, or no, March, March? it's like first week of March. Well, they Sometime, pushed it back. They it used to be. February, March. Middle they, of February, it started. And, now, and then they pushed it back to March. Um, but so it got canceled last year. And it was in threatening to end the run of the longest consecutively run amateur tournament in the world. Um, so it's still going to be happening uh, this year in 21. Um, Won't miss a beat. Won't skip a beat when nope. it's all said and done. Yeah, signups are, uh, just in case if any of you guys signed up for it, um, earlier in the year, you do have to re-sign up um, starting August 1st. But uh, the championship is going to be in October 30th to uh, November 14th, a couple weekends there. And actually, you know, I mean, I'm signed up for it. How stoked are we for this? It's going to oh, be the is, best weather. This is all my year. this is my U.S. Open. Uh, I am so excited. It's why I'm starting to play again and starting to grind. Is because yeah. I just I want. So I'm playing in the open flights because I'm kind of a hack these days, and I just want to make it to Harding so bad. I want to. I want that medal. No, it's just great. I mean, I remember I think one year going out to Lincoln, and I didn't have a car in the city, and I had the first tee time at Lincoln, and it's pissing rain, <laughs> and it's six fifteen in the morning. I'm taking a cab out there. 
and I'm just sitting there in the cab like, what am I doing? <laughs> so it's going to be really good to have it in October. Uh, so anyone sign up for it. Let's get it sold out. One year I was going to my tea time to the city and I was listening to Spotify and I listened, had my phone up or something. I was changing the track and a cop pulled me over and talk about a fucking wrench in the spike, you know, the spoke of your bike, dude. Like it was not a good round. I got pulled over and like I got rushed to my tea time, barely made it like not a smooth start, but I've never forgot it because the city is such a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's a big term. Dan O'Connolly's won that too, so. Are they still doing qualifying at Presidio no. in no. addition to? No, that was a one-off. Lincoln that was a one-off Harding. one year. They're yeah. back to Harding. Okay, because yeah, I, I think that for some reason, I that. saw it for two years, but I'm glad to have clarification that it was only Presidio one. Presidio is not a city course, if you're nope. talking about. I mean, it's in the city, but it's, it's not, not a city-run city course, run course no. so. Nah, Lincoln, uh, that's the best part about it. You get people that have never played Lincoln before, and they're really good golfers. And you go out there and you shoot 70. If you shoot 72, which is four over par, Lincoln is a par 68, about what, 5,600 yards? You see it on paper and you're like, uh, I'm going to shoot 65 out here. Okay, good luck. Yeah. How and, good are you at putting on daisies? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you shoot 72, and that's like the best round of my life I've played out there. If you I got love some Lincoln. of the weirdest angles on that golf course, and I know we talked about it on our first episode, we're going to dedicate a whole show just to Lincoln. But, mm-hmm. like, you talk about, you look at the sixth hole, you look at it on the card, it's a 280 par four, and you can see big dog like you're like oh my gosh i had a big cut and i can drive the green here nope no you can't it's one of the most difficult cuts that you've ever seen i actually heard a story once that zach miller former stanford golfer played on the tour for a couple of years yep jj jackovich also caddy for him somehow on the sixth hole at lincoln he was able to hit a high draw over the public park pathway that's nuts and drive it back Onto the green. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I, I've driven that green before back in my heyday when I was, you know, playing golf every day. But it was a giant banana slice. So to yeah. hit a, a, a draw, that's bananas. You'd have to hit the ball uh, like higher than the Empire State Building. Well, so that's going to happen do that? probably in October. It's it's That's the nicest time of the year for us, right? Ooh, it'll be dry. It's going to be a lot more yeah. dry. So it's going to be hard. I mean, it's already hard enough. And they've improved the, the greens there, actually. I They're played amazing. There, I played there back in December, which yeah. is, you know, their typical wet season. And the greens were kind of quick. Yeah. Go out and support your local community. Lincoln, I'm always shocked when I talk to people that live in the city here and they've never played Lincoln. Lincoln Golf Course has produced three major champions, if you think yep. about it. You've yep. got um, uh, Johnny Miller, you got Ken Venturi, and then who won the Masters? Uh, back? George Archer. Yeah, George Archer. So think about that. It's produced two U.S. Open champions and a Masters winner. Yeah. One other amateur tournament that I want to give a shout-out to because we've been talking about amateur tournaments the Alameda Commuters Championship, which is probably the second oldest amateur tournament in the Bay Area after the SF City Championship. It's over at Carica Park, and it's been modified the last couple of years. It was canceled last year because of COVID. It normally happens the third and fourth week of April. They would play qualifying on both courses. So you'd play one round on the south course, which is known as the Jack Clark, and one round on the north course, which was known as the Earl Fry. But that'll probably be different next year because they're opening up the north course again. And it was different prior to 2020 because it was only on the north course because they were redoing the south course. And I know we've brought that golf course up. Uh, So that's just a really fun tournament. It's really well done. Uh, The board of directors wears green jackets. Fun fact that I found out. They actually had the green jacket at the Alameda Commuters 
before the green jacket at Augusta, which I thought was awesome and just speaks to the heritage of some of the tournaments that we have in our area. Because when we think about it, the Masters, relatively speaking, is not that old of a golf tournament. Yeah, 25, 1930, when did it start? Not, Not too early. I think it was probably 1935, 34. I mean, the NCJ stuff, I mean, you guys have played it. I mean, it's it's the best run organization, I would say, in the country, probably. I mean, and, the and, amount of people that, you know, love yeah. the game, support the game, you know, the amateur, amateur golf is where the soul of the game really totally came yeah. from. I mean, it was more, I mean, the, back in the day, like, to be a professional golfer was kind of like gauche. Yeah. Uh, it was more respectable to be a, an amateur guy. Bobby Jones. Yeah. I'll say this also. I have lived in Iowa. Idaho, Montana, part of the time in Massachusetts, decent amount of years in Illinois. None of those golf associations match up anywhere to what the NCGA is. And they don't have their own association golf courses. The NCGA has two Poppy Hills inside 17 mile drive and Poppy Ridge out in Livermore. So like when we think about it, they have given us opportunities all across the board to play golf, grow the game, help others grow the game, and compete. And that's all you can ask for. So a shout-out to the NCGA for all that they do to grow the game of golf. Oh, yeah, and Poppy definitely. Ridge is really one of the best values, I think, in all of Northern California. Uh, it's 50 60 bucks. you're going to get 18 holes. The driving range is incredible. Yeah, they got three nines out there. Um, I love that place. I mean, it's always in really good shape. Uh, a little bit of a drive. You can do some wine tasting afterwards. But, you yeah, know, NCJ, I mean, props to them for running. Well, there's a Greg Norman course, Wente Vineyards, I think, that's just down the road, and they charge about three times as much. And I can't tell you it's a three times better experience. I mean, the NCJ really gives you the value. Totally. Poppy Ridge is also always in great condition. It's windy as all get out out there. Like, that's like base the Altamont Pass, one of the windiest areas in the entire world, I feel like, but the golf courses, and you feel like you are, like you said, in wine country. Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know that will lead in. Should we should we talk about the three courses that we want to pick? This yeah, week? because we want to talk about as we end our segment with linking up with the links, and that is the name of the segment that I just made up because we had it the first two weeks and we didn't have a name for it. So linking up with the links. We want to talk about golf courses that are related to Colin Morikawa. So I want to start off by talking about Metropolitan Golf Links in Oakland for two reasons. And I'll keep it brief. Metro is a Lynx course, so it's very similar in style to Royal St. George's, although a lot of holes out there, way different. But the Cal golf team, where Colin Morikawa played, practices out there. They have their own section of the driving range. And they have their own short game facility. So part of his development as a player happened right out there at Metro for multiple reasons. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I think I mentioned it a little earlier today also. Um, We were out at Harding today, um, getting a little early morning round in before uh, watching the end. Well, I guess it was at the same time as Morikawa wrapping it up. But uh, also the alternate uh, course for the city championship uh, for qualifying Harding. where Colin, you know, drove the 16th green. But, uh, you know, Harding, back in the day, I think, you know, when we were in high school, it was no different than Lincoln. Um, you'd go out there, and there was no difference between the fairways and the rough. You should play it for a dollar. If you were on a high yeah. school team in any, any any squad in the city, it doesn't matter what high school, you played it for a dollar. And yeah. now 
a little bit different. Yeah, you, know? you lose your ball in the middle of the fairway. The greens, you know, weren't very good at all. There was a local rule in the city where if everyone agreed that your ball was in the fairway and it was lost because there were so many daisies, zero penalty. You yeah. just dropped it free because we're like, yeah, you hit it in the middle. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then they closed it down. I think it was about 2001 or two for a little bit to redo yep, it. Yep. And, um, I think they opened huge. it up like end of 04, if yep. I'm remembering correctly. $25 million renovation. Sandy Tatum definitely uh, drove that, that totally. project forward. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, I mean... Harding since then, I think, has definitely been put on the map. We've had, you know, the President's Cups. We've got, uh, I think they had the BMW out there one year when J- JD missed a short putt uh, to Tiger. Tiger won that. was that. the MX, yeah. Yeah, the MX. Yeah, WGC um, event, yeah. And then we've had the playoff event, I think. Rory, I think, beat Gary Woodland. In they the used Cadillac to have, match play. Uh, back in the 60s, they had full-on field events because those were all limited field events, yeah. 100 or less. Uh, they had the Lucky Open. Billy Casper won out there. Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's so much history out there. And that's what I'm saying. I, Harvey Ward, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I mean, dude, so. dude versus Ken Venturi, 10,000 people. If, I mean, and now Morikawa was a part of that. Yeah. We'll be reading about him in 50 years. I'm going to shout out. Okay. First, because we're talking about Cal, I want to give a shout out to James Hahn because he shot a 60 on Saturday at the Barbasol and that was his career low. So go bears, go James. Let's get it. Want to see you at Augusta next year. It's only a matter of time, but let's talk about Tilden park up in Berkeley Hills, beautiful golf course. You are uh, just thrown in the middle of nature. I've seen bucks with full on seven, you know, <laughs> what do they call it? Seven the point. Bu- yeah. Seven <laughs> point bucks out there. Hawks, beautiful golf course. The back nine is incredible. Par yeah, threes will easy. eat your lunch. Um, do be prepared for about a four to five half hour round, but don't worry. The turn has very good beer selection. Really very good. good food. Um, Bloody Mary's also yes. after the second hole or yeah. third hole. <laughs> yeah. Very hilly. Uh, I would recommend taking a cart. Uh, and I say that as a walker just because of the, uh, the elevation change, but a great course and a hidden gym. Yeah. That place is sweet. Before we go, I tease this going into our break. Andy, you brought up in conversation before we hit record the joy of something you didn't know existed, the pre-6 a.m. tea time, of which I've played once at a course that no longer exists, an old golf club over in the East Bay, rest in peace, but you said that you are really digging the 5.48 a.m. tea time. Can you see at that point in the day? Yes. So when the officials... Okay, so let me start this off by saying... When, I'm just going to say I'm out on this. <laughs> okay, so if you were to tell me... Normally, if I had a 5.48 tea time, it would be a 5.48 p.m. tea time. I was an afternoon golfer. That's what I questioned. Yeah, I know. You actually said that. You go, you mean the afternoon? I, I might, It does not compute. No, 5.48 a.m. They actually give you a discount uh, playing up in Sacramento area before 6 a.m., which boggles the mind to me because it's so much better than anything you've ever experienced. You're done by 10 a.m. You're home by 10 a.m. So if your wife is sleeping on a Saturday, you can make her breakfast and you're the champ. All right, by the way. And like you just played 18 holes, which is amazing. Um, it flies. And uh, yeah, no, you can see. So the sunrise, uh, just to put it out there, was 530 or 540. The sun's actually when it you can see. Yeah, it looked pretty good. That's yeah. The picture. I, I, will, I will say the first hole's a little bit challenging. Uh, I, when I hit my ball, my shot, I go, I think it's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but by the second hole, the sun's actually glaring at you, but it's really cool because normally you're used to seeing that sun in your face and there's no more golf left. You're like, oh, I got to go. I got to go to the 19th hole. But you have a whole day ahead of you. And uh, yeah, shout out to the uh, pre 6 a.m. tea time. If you have the opportunity, go get it because you're not going to regret it. You'll be home by noon and you'll make some shirts about this or something. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> 
good. I, I'm addicted. I did. I've done the last three tea times before six, and I can't get enough. Credit to you. <laughs> on that note, we are going to say goodbye here on the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. We are the SF Golf Collective. We are recording at the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. And remember, play fair, hit them straight, and tip your waitresses. <laughs> <laughs>